This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. Now, crank it up. Hey, hey there, Grown Up Rock listeners. We are coming to you with a brand new episode this week, and we have a special one for you. Kings of Dust are a new band out of Arizona featuring former Badlands bassist Greg Chasen. The band also includes singer Michael Thomas Beck, who spent a brief minute in Jakey Lee's Red Dragon Cartel during the great Spin the Wheel of Fortune for Singers to sing in Red Dragon Cartel extravaganza. It also consists of guitarist Ryan McKay and drummer Jimmy Taft. They recently released a self-titled debut album that was produced by Greg and mixed by Michael. The band certainly wears its influences on their sleeves and comes from an authentic perspective of growing up around all the great rock and roll of the late 60s and 70s that they loved so much. Hey, Growing Up Rock sounds like a possible title. I hear everything in this album from classic Deep Purple to Black Sabbath to a little bit of Allman Brothers, some Rolling Stones, and Humble Pie. I was fortunate enough to hop on a call with bassist Greg Chasen and singer Michael Thomas Beck to talk about the album, talk about their careers, Loch Ness Monster, and hanging up the phone multiple times on Sharon Osbourne. At the end of this conversation, drummer Jimmy Taft jumps into the room, giving Greg the opportunity to investigate Bigfoot and check out the latest UFO sightings. Of course, I probably made some of this up or did I? Hmm. Anyway, you'll enjoy listening to this talk and check out some of the new tunes I feature from the Kings of Dust in this episode. As always, if you are digging what you are hearing, please go and support these bands however you see fit. Buy or stream their music, purchase some merch, or check the band out live if they come to a venue near you. You can also help this podcast out by just leaving us a great review on Apple Podcast or sharing it with your music-loving friends. It's free, and it takes very little time, but it helps us out more than you know. You can do this so we can reach more people and wave the flag of kick-ass rock and roll by exposing so many of these great artists who work hard at creating the soundtrack to our lives. See how that all works? That's about it for now. Thanks to my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, for being a guest on so many other podcasts and preaching the word of rock and roll as the ambassador for the Grown Up Rock podcast. That's it. We hope you enjoy this conversation with the Kings of Dust. See ya. Hey, this is Greg. This is Michael from Kings of Dust. And you're listening to the Growing Up Rock podcast with Stephen Michael. Rock on. Day after day, I can meet a 
Dust has been around since what 2014 is kind of like a jam band project. Is that correct? The way it kind of worked out was Michael owns a studio here in, in Tempe called uh, Sound Vision Studios, and he was wanting to record some original music of his own or with other people since he was busy recording everyone else. So to put that together, he knew a drummer, Donnie Fargo who knew a guitar player, Mike Petruno, who knew me. And we all got together just kind of to write some songs, almost basically like a wank. It wasn't like anything serious. We were just kind of doing it for the heck of it. Michael had been in a band with my younger brother, Kenny, who played in Kiel. So I was kind of aware of who Michael was, but I really you know, didn't know exactly what he did or what he was about. So we just kind of got together and wrote a few kind of just rift sort of jamming sort of things nothing real serious and then within the first couple of weeks we ended up writing a song that's actually on the record called keep the spirit alive and we all kind of looked at each other and went wait a minute there's something here this might actually be something we're talking about and then right away after that we wrote like an ocean and let the ugly through two other songs that are on the record and we realized that this might be worth pursuing beyond just Let's go in and put down a couple tracks. We thought it could turn into something more serious. Right. And at some point, you kind of had to put that on hiatus a little bit while you were battling with your uh, health issues. How are you doing these days? Everything working out okay? Yeah, I mean, I'm completely cancer-free. The timeline on that is the original two other members, Mike and Donnie, quit for their own reasons. Uh, They had issues they had to deal with. And we actually disbanded it. And then a couple months later, Michael called me and said, I think we should do this, get a couple other guys, because I think the material warrants it. So we uh, got our guitar player, uh, Ryan McKay, that, who's still with us. Right. And uh, I had just kind of heard of him, but I didn't know him. And I called him up. He came down and listened to the demos and said, yeah, I'd like to be involved. And then we went through different drummers and we weren't really totally satisfied with what we were doing well in 2014 jake called me jakey lee called me and said hey we're playing in tempe would you play in red dragon cartel for that show we don't we're not going to use our bass player the guy they had at the time and so i hadn't played with jake in a long time and i agreed to do it we actually rehearsed it at michael's sound vision studios which is the first time i met jake and we were, we were officially the loudest people to ever play in there in that one evening. By quite a bit. <laughs> so I did the show with them at the Marquee here in Tempe. It's a pretty big club. And uh, they asked me to join the band. I couldn't really join the band at the time. So we kind of kept going with Kings of Dust, which wasn't called Kings of Dust at the time. We were just kind of going around with goofy names. We had some uh, prehistoric steamroller or deep black lead. We 
we were we weren't really sure what we wanted to call it. And then they called me in August and said, would I join Red Dragon Cartel then, which I did, always with an eye on finishing what would eventually become Kings of Dust. Well, in the spring of 2015, I was diagnosed with cancer and then everything went on hold. I, I had to quit Red Dragon Cartel and go through all the treatment. Yeah. And we're still planning on doing Kings, except... I just didn't have the interest or the energy to do it. And Michael kept saying, hey, I still want to finish this. Let me know when you're ready. And then finally, last year, about maybe a little over a year ago, someone made a comment that uh, this record would never come out. It's dead in the water. Another local musician made some comments that this wasn't going to fly. And that's all I needed. Michael told me about it. And that's all I said, fine. Let's finish it. And we found Jimmy Taft, our drummer, who I've known a long time, excellent drummer. And we wrote some more songs and uh, finally finished it. So that's the Beyond the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> so now the record as we hear it today, that features all four of the guys that are in the band currently, correct? Correct. Okay. And Michael... So as I'm doing some research and looking into things, I know that you also played a part in what was the drama of Red Dragon Cartel <laughs> at one point in time. So you you ended up being one of the, the singers in the roulette wheel because they had issues with Darren at the time or whatever. And Darren being a friend of mine, yeah, and I'm glad it worked out. He's the right guy for the job. I was you know, with the band for a little while and had a great time while I was there. So I call that period Jake's cavalcade of singers. <laughs> so in all of this, why doesn't Jake just reform Badlands with both of you guys? Or why doesn't he come on to Kings of Dust and you guys just play together again? I mean, it seems like musically a fair fit from what I hear, you know? Well, there's a couple of things behind that, not the least of which is Jake has, you know, his Red Dragon Cartel thing, which he's, you know, it's a good band and he really likes it. And I think he expresses himself well with the material and the guys in the band. I think Darren's a great singer. He's a great fit for Jake. And another reason being that Jake has always said that he would never do anything called Badlands since Ray passed away. However, if Jake were to call me at some point and say, hey, I want to do something where we play the Badlands material, you know, do some kind of tour or whatever. And if I could fit it in my schedule and, you know, it fit in the same schedule, because I, I run a guitar store here in Phoenix, Bizarre Guitar and Drum. So I have an actual job. So if, if I could fit it in the schedule with my store and with Kings of Dust, I would have no problem going out and playing with Jake and playing that material. I'm, Jake's one of my best friends. He's actually more like a brother. Brilliant guitarist, brilliant writer, brilliant on stage. I mean, and, and like I said, I mean, we're very close. Um, so at some point, I could see myself playing with Jake again in some capacity. But having said that, I'm very happy with Kings of Dust. And I, even if I went and played with Jake in some capacity in the future, I would still want to keep kings of dust going mainly because i really believe in the material that we make i like the players they're great players they're great friends and while badlands was very much jake's baby he was the main architect of the songs kings of dust is very much my baby 
along with Michael's. I write the bulk of the material or the original ideas come from me and then we kind of get together and write them. So they are done as a band because my reputation resume or whatever is a little deeper than Michael's. It's the band is perceived as mine and I enjoy what we do. I believe in what we do. I get to say exactly what I want to say from a musical point of view. Jake and I have a very similar vision on how we approach original material. I don't write for anyone other than myself. I'm not trying to get a hit record. I'm not trying to find out what the flavor of the month is. I write what I like. If other people like it, that's great. And if they don't, they'll move on to uh, whatever it is they do like. Having said that, a lot of people seem to like it. So I'm pretty happy with it. So yes, I would play with Jake, but I would always keep this going as well. And I don't know what the singer situation would be. And I would let Michael speak to that himself. I had a great time. When I was with Red Dragon Cartel, Jake's always been one of my favorite guitar players. So looking off the side stage and seeing one of the guys you grew up with standing next to you is a, a pretty cool thing. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, Kings of Dust is more of an original project. For, well, I think for both of us, Greg and I are writing the bulk of the material along with the band. I do the bulk of the lyric and melody and Fortunately for the material, you know, the stuff that Greg brings to the table musically, I mean, I hear stuff usually the moment he's playing it. So it's easy for me to write to, and that's that's not a bad thing. No, and it's an interesting thing that you guys bring up. So, Greg, you mentioned earlier that you have a real job and that you run a music store. Michael, I think your normal job is to run the studio you own, correct? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a I'm my day job as a producer and yeah. engineer. <laughs> you both got real, and you can't see my ear quotes, but you both got real jobs. The question to me would be, why Kings of Dust? Why here? Why now? Well, I think the material is probably the quickest answer to that. I mean, that's the reason that we've continually come back to Kings of Dust. That's the reason that the record is there to begin with. It's really all about the material. I mean, Greg and I have been friends for a long time. Both Ryan and Jimmy are all, you know, we all get along really well, which is pretty odd in itself. Um, but it's always about the material. And the material just it seems to flow pretty easily. Why that is, I hate to question, but it does. It definitely resonates with a lot of people. I mean, when we were because Michael owns a studio, we have the luxury, and it's an actual standalone in a studio. It's not some gear in someone's living room. <laughs> so it's a, it's a real studio. And because he owns that, we have the luxury of going in there and taking as much time as we want. So when we were demoing this material out, we would play it for various people that we knew. The response was so overwhelmingly positive that we thought, yeah, maybe we're actually hitting on something here. Yeah. I mean, the whole set, it's got a very 70s vibe. You've heard it. It's very 70s. Musically, it's very 70s. The sounds sonically are very 70s. The mix is very 70s. And that's easy for me and Michael. That's the era I grew up in. When I wrote songs in the 70s, they were these kind of songs. The 70s is a very popular era right now for a lot of bands. You have a lot of bands that are out there right now that are doing that kind of music and i think it's great whatever way you come to it wherever dirty honey or rival sons or 
Greta. Greta Van Fleet, wherever they get their influence is fine with me because it all sounds like it's coming from that same place. For us, it's simple because that's where we grew up. Uh, I do agree with Michael. The material seems to be strong enough that it warrants people hearing it. And oddly enough, we're rehearsing every week now to put a live show together to you know go out and play but we're also writing new material so every time we get together i'll bring in a song ryan's brought in some material and so we're still writing and we haven't it doesn't seem like we've that well's gone dry yet it seems yeah. like we have plenty of material what you get is a great problem to have i mean we've got probably a half a dozen songs right now we could go in and record for the second record if that's where our head was at. But right now, you know, we're pretty happy with this one. I mean, you've heard it. It's 13 songs. Who puts out a friggin' record with 13 <laughs> songs? And the running time is like 70 minutes. Nobody does that. But of course, since no one does, I did. Yeah, exactly. So why not us? Well, yeah. So I definitely agree with you on your sound. I definitely agree that this seems to be the trend that that at least rock and roll is taking where it's feeding off of some of that classic sound and your guys sound is honest isn't the right word because i really like a lot of the dirty honey and the greta van fleet and stuff like that that i'm hearing so honest isn't the right word uh maybe authentic maybe yeah. i mean it's it sounds like the 70s but it doesn't sound like any of the stuff that other the other bands that you mentioned are putting out a lot of those other bands and, and i like all of those bands R rival sun is one of my favorite for sure all those other bands are taking you know those influences but like greg was saying it's for all of us this is first generational stuff so i learned how to sing listen to steve walsh from kansas i didn't learn how to sing listening to somebody that listened to Steve Walsh from Kansas. So it's more first generation stuff. I think that's that's why it, it may be, I don't know if it's a little more pure, but it feels better to us. Well, before we go too far down the album rabbit hole, the show is called Growing Up Rock. And, and with Growing Up Rock, we like to talk a lot about people's influences, what created the artists that we're talking to today. You mentioned Steve Walsh from Kansas, which to me is so, first of all, I don't, I don't necessarily hear him in your voice. And second of all, and second of all, a lot of people don't talk about him or Kansas as an influence, although they were a huge influence on a lot of people. What were some of your influences, Michael? And when I say growing up, I'm talking about your high school years where you're starting to develop and listen to music and get into yeah. being the artist. What what were some of those influences well, for you? Steve Walsh was a huge one. I devoured every Kansas record I could get a hold of him at the time. David Lee Roth from Van Halen, not just vocally, but he's always been one of my favorite lyric writers because he doesn't write, mm -mm. you know, he doesn't write from the same perspective that you hear most songs written from. And that's always been appealing to me. I don't, I don't like to write stuff that everybody else is, is writing about. If I write about a situation, it's usually personal, but Roth always had a way of saying things that was just the coolest thing on the planet to me. So that was a huge influence in me. Ronnie James Dio was another huge influence. And, and again, I don't know if you hear any of those, but they're all in there in pieces. 
I mean, what I hear in your voice, and this is just me personally, it sounds like I, I hear a lot of Ian Gillian in your voice. Cool. It's <laughs> it's just I don't know whether it's the raspy quality that Gillian had, uh, but that's that's kind of what I hear in your voice. To me, anyway, that's that's what I hear most of. I do hear a little bit of Dio now that you mention it, but definitely Ian. You'll get no arguments for me. I mean, having him in the same breath in any conversation is all right by me. That's one of my favorite singers for sure. Yeah. Hey, Greg, how about you in those high school years when you're developing as a musician and as a uh, person just enjoying music and discovering all these great bands? What were the influences for you, band or artist-wise? Well, band-wise, I mean, like a lot of people, I was into Sabbath and Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Humble Pie and Mountain and, you know, the early Grand Funk Trapeze with Glenn Hughes. But there's also a lot of obscure bands in there that I was influenced by. There's a band from England called Three Man Army. It was a big influence on mine. A band from Texas called Stray Dog. We just made a couple records. There's also, I have some Allman Brothers influences and some Johnny Winter, Johnny Winter and Live influences. And bass player, you know, just as those are the kind of bands I like, but there's a lot of bass players from those bands um, whether it's John Entwistle or from The Who or Felix Papillardi from Mountain or Andy Frazier from Free, Tim Boger from Cactus, another huge influence of mine. Bass players in the 70s were not just a support instrument that just was kind of there for everyone else to do whatever over. Exactly. They, they were a melodic instrument. They were a component that was separate from everything else. When I was in Badlands, we really explored that. You know, in the 80s, a lot of guys weren't playing bass the way that I play it. They were kind of peddling on the A and the guitar player did a solo over it and maybe the drummer did a fill. Don't forget to eat. Pedal on the E E too. (laughs) And then but for me I got to play a lot of melodic lines, a lot of counterpoint. Jake enjoyed that. I enjoyed it. His music was very inspirational for me to do that. And I was able to take those bass players from the 70s and use all that i'm i don't play exactly like anyone i play a little bit like about 20 different guys and i carry that into what we do in kings of dust there's little influences here and there that you can definitely hear some deep purple influence some zeppelin on and on and on there's definitely some humble pie kind of vibe it's no it's not us stealing anything it's just us definitely catching the wave that those guys started and uh writing it in Yeah, don't get me uh, started on the soapbox of uh, bands sounding like other bands. I've screamed from the mountaintops that it's rock and roll. I don't give a shit whether a band sounds like another band as long as there's no flat-out plagiarism going on. You understand? Well, I think, I mean, I tell bands as a producer, I tell them this all the time. You know, I always tell them to bring me an example of what they want to sound like. And knowing that, even if you come in with a disc and say, I want to sound exactly like this, it's never going to happen. You're not them. They're not you. So you're never going to be exact. So even if you're consciously trying to sound like somebody, I don't think that ever happens. So I think there's a lot of room for interpretation in rock and roll. That's why it's rock and roll. 
Yeah, it's it's just a bit irritating to me being, I'm 53, so I grew up in the uh, late 60s, 70s, 80s, where to me, rock and roll you know, was really forming a head of steam during those years. And I don't know whether there'll ever be something that I would consider brand new when it comes to rock and roll. I'm not going to say never, but bands that come out today that sound like this band or that band, I look at the quality of the product and, and what the song is. I don't look at a Greta Van Fleet and go, oh, this kid sounds like Plant. This sounds like Led Zeppelin. Well, I mean, would you rather have him sound like Plant or sound like Justin Bieber? I'd rather have Plant. Exactly my point. This is exactly my point. All of the old guard of rock and roll lovers, myself and anybody I grew up with in that period of time, is so busy fixating on shit like that that rock and roll continues to lose ground to the Justin Biebers and the and the Beyonce's and any processed overprocessed crap where people don't play their own instruments and don't write their own songs. Exactly. This drives me up a freaking wall. Instead, I would rather see all these people embrace it and go, hey, I never liked Zeppelin, so I don't like Greta Van Fleet, and that's okay with me. Or I loved Zeppelin. I really like Greta Van Fleet because Zeppelin's not putting out new albums anymore. So I like this material. Sounds great. Sounds like a, you know, a new album by Zeppelin, whatever. You know, the only place that I draw the line is when, hey, this song sounds exactly like Cashmere. I don't, you know, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear something new sounding, uh, and I'm okay with that. And I think that that kind of mentality hurts bands like Kings of Dust or anybody else in the rock and roll genre that's trying to put out new material. Yes, as long as they're talking. The thing is, there's a lot of people that put down bands. I know Greta Van Fleet's taken a lot of heat for their direction or whatever, because maybe some people think they're too close. But Michael said it best. Would you rather hear these guys who obviously wear their influences on their sleeves? Now, maybe their mistake was they didn't own up to it right away. They do now. But I mean, would you rather hear someone do that or you want to hear someone do some Kanye West. So while, while you're putting down bands that are, and by the same token, Kings of Dust wears its influences on its sleeve. I don't try to hide what it is. This is what I like. These are my influences. And if you like it, great. If you don't, I don't care. I mean, one of the things I do is like, if I have a vibe off of a certain band or song or sound or whatever, I don't tell anyone in the band where I got it from. Especially me. I'll bring it in and I'll just, I'll say, here's what I got, because by the time that Michael throws his part on or Ryan throws his or Jimmy, since they don't know where I got it, they're not influenced by what they might play there was already there. They're giving their own fresh perspective on it, which now takes a song that maybe had a little deep purple flavor to it. And now it's gone in a completely different direction because you don't know that I was definitely hearing some... I really like this particular song by this particular artist. I want to kind of get this vibe. To me, it's never an exact nick. It's just, can I get the vibe of this particular song that I like and then transform it into something else? I mean, that's what all the great bands in the 
in the 70s did. They took the vibe of whether it was Cream or The Who or, or Zeppelin or whoever, and then they turned it into their own flavor version of whatever that particular artist that influenced them. I mean, Rival Sons does that with a lot of their material and uh, Dirty Honey, certainly Greta Van Fleet and other bands like in that genre. I appreciate that. And there's bands I know that have borrowed some Badlands ideas. I don't have a problem with that. I don't think Jake does either. As long as they make a good song out of it and it's honest and it's the real thing and it's your emotion, who cares where you got it from? Zeppelin got all their stuff from a bunch of, you know, blues artists that right. yeah. no one would even be. They made those blues artists relevant again, which is great. So if any of us that are treading this 70s hallowed ground can push the pile forward a little bit and get people to appreciate it that much more. I don't care how you do it. As long as you do do it and it's honest, I'm good with all of it. Yeah. Agree a hundred percent, which brings me to the record. So when I listen to this record, it sounds very cohesive, but I wanted to ask you about three songs that kind of stand out to me with a little bit different, either vibe, sound, flavor, whatever you want to call it. I want to kind of ask you about them because they sound a little bit different to me and I like them. They just sound different with the rest of the record. And that is, yeah, that's me. (laughs) Ugly. And then uh, buy you the intro, uh, which goes into mama. Those three songs have a a little bit different flavor. So is there a story with these three songs? Well, buy you basically we, I wanted an intro to mama. Okay. So what I told Ryan was, I said, I want you to basically, I want you to catch the kind of vibe that you just woke up in the morning, you just picked up your guitar, and this is the first thing you play. So he didn't rehearse anything out. We just went in the studio. Very unconscious. And I said, I just want you to play something that's in the spirit of kind of this swampy. Have you ever been to Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, when you first get on the ride, when you're going down the hill, there's this little, they show this little shack with all these fireflies and frogs, yep. you know, chirping and stuff. And there's a fishing pole out there. I wanted Brian to pretend that he lived in that house <laughs> and he just got up and his old hound dogs on the porch and you just picked up your guitar. And this is what you played. Did you paint the picture for Ryan? Exactly like that. Exactly like that. <laughs>
And that's exactly what he came up with. And I said, and we just recorded it. I said, just play a long time. Don't bother uh, ending it because we'll we'll fade it out. And I just wanted to take this and add to it and get this kind of flavor on there. And that's what he came up with. And I think it's really cool. I think it really sets the mood and the tone for what Mama turns into. Because Mama is also a very different sort of song. It's kind of, without saying it, it's kind of the centerpiece of the record. It's the one epic track. It's, I don't know, eight minutes long or some ridiculous amount of time. But it keeps moving forward and it keeps saying something new, even all the way out to the outro of the song. 723 to be exact on Mama. And why give the intro a different name? Why not just call it uh, Mama? I wanted to call it Gator Eating Granny, <laughs> but I was outvoted. Um, just barely, though. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Because um, I wanted Ryan to have a songwriting credit on it. I wanted it to be something he wrote that wasn't like, if, he, if we had tagged it right into Mama, it would have said, the way that the record is done, if whose ever name was first in the credits is who probably who who definitely brought in the idea. Yeah. So I wanted Ryan to have his own separate credit as opposed to him being tagged onto something that I had already written, even though he contributed to the song. I wanted him to have his own separate credit. So that's why that's done that way. Uh, I prefer Gator eating granny. That's fantastic. So do I, man. <laughs> I, I, I could, when I found out it wasn't going to be called Gator Eating Granny, it was going to be called Bayou, I said, why? Why you on Bayou? Well, and you know, now that I think about it and I hear you say it, is it Bayou or is it Bayou? Like the Bayou? Uh, no, yeah. Well, there, there's, there's my other point of contention. I said, why is it spelled this way? You should have just spelled it like Bayou, like on the Bayou. But these guys are weird. What can I tell you? I'm the only smart one in the band, so. <laughs> so we're playing. Now, as far as Ugly, uh, Ugly is uh, a song we wrote early on when before when we were called Prehistoric Steamroller, when we were still at the kind of figuring out if this thing works phase. That riff is brought in by the original guitar player, Mike Petruno. Okay. And I really like the riff. And so um, what makes the song so different is the riff's really cool, but everything that it does after the riff, the way the verse is, the way the bridge is, the way that the whole thing courses and then goes down into that different time structure, then it goes down even lower and then brings itself back up. Um, That's just the idea for me that I wanted to have a lot of different texture to that song. All the songs have quite a bit of texture, but I wanted it to where you think you've heard everything that there is to hear, then it goes to this, then it goes to this, and you're like, oh, wow, there's something new, something new. And then it comes back to the riff, and then it has that whole outro part, which was kind of an idea of mine where I wanted all this feedback swirling, whammy bar, echoing, swirling back and forth. And then Michael added, without me knowing about it, added all those vocal things to it too, which just made it that much better. So it's just kind of this crazy swirling maelstrom of just uh, like a tornado on the bayou. <laughs> and how about, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me is uh, we, originally it was an idea written by Mike Petruno again, okay. the original riff. And I, but the rest of the song was written by me after the riff. So what I decided I want to change the original riff. And I told Ryan, I said, I want something that has kind of a stonesy, ZZ top meets Francine meets brown sugar sort of vibe to it with slide guitar so he wrote that intro riff and then the rest of the song was kind of stuff i already had 
and that is a really different sounding song on the record. But oddly enough, it's one of the most popular songs on the record. And it's kind of has this really happy, boppy sort of musical st- structure to it. It's kind of like one big bass solo from front to back. Yeah. But the lyrics are actually darker than the music of the song portrays because the lyrics are fairly dark over this kind of happy musical structure. It's kind of cool. Don't tell everybody. That's a secret. Yeah, well, I see. That's the genius of a song. It can have those uh, happy chords and yet really dark lyrics, you know? I mean, the Beatles were notorious for having these sort of dark lyrics over a happy song, you know? You know, my daughter, who's 21, that's her favorite track on the record. And and in a way, I mean, it's one of my favorite tracks, but I wasn't sure what the response to it would be because Ugly is also very popular, as is there's... You know, the cool thing about this record is everyone likes different songs. So it's not like everyone likes Like an Ocean and that's after that, it's all filler. Wanted it to be all killer, no filler. But the way that the song turned out and the mixing on it and everything on it, it's been a very popular track. And it's kind of been the surprise track on the record, to be honest. Definitely is. Well, Yeah, That's Me is probably one of my favorites. I also like Ugly. I also like Like an Ocean. The Devil Made You Do It, and Wolves, uh, I like quite a bit as well. So those are some of my favorites. Let me ask you this. If you had the opportunity to play one song off the record that would best represent what you guys feel is Kings of Dust, what song would that be? I mean, to me, again, it's it's a hard pick. If I was going to do that, though, if I had to pick one thing that I would say sums us up, what I would probably have to do is take Like an Ocean and then the whole segue into Yours Not Mine and put them together because I think that covers the whole gamut. You know, you were talking about different sounding songs. To me, Upon Reflection and The Devil Made Me Do It are two more unintentional modern sounding. They're, they're not quite as 70s rooted and that's intentional as the uh, rest of the record. But I think they're really cool songs, and I and I like both of them. But we kind of branched out a little bit and, and got outside of our comfort zone when we wrote them. Uh, a lot of the other stuff is, I mean, they're all it's all lockstep, each song with each other. So I, it would be very hard for me to pick any one track. But if I was going to say, here's what we sound like.
let's talk a little bit about your past career, Greg, for just a minute. There's a couple things that I want to ask you. One is, as I looked into your career, obviously I knew about the whole Badlands thing, but one thing that I didn't know was how your relationship with Jake began in that you auditioned for Ozzy around the Ultimate Sin record time. Is that correct? Correct. Ozzy was looking for a bass player, and they put a thing on MTV saying, you know, send in your photo and your bio and a little tape, and we're going to pick X amount of people to audition. They got something like four or 5,000 people sent in their tape. I sent in my tape sent in a picture and a little bio and I sent in some tape of me sitting in front of my ghetto blaster playing just some bass licks without an amp because I didn't think anyone was going to call me. One of my best friends at the time was Bobby Blotzer, the drummer from Rat. And he kept saying, you got to send in this package to them. And so I didn't want to do it. He kept saying, did you send it in yet? So he got me the address and I sent it in at his urging, his prodding. And uh, lo and behold, I get a phone call you know, right around the 4th of July. And it's like, hello, Greg, it's Sharon Osborne. And we got your, your tape and we'd like you to come audition to, for the band. And I'm like, screw you, Blotzer. This isn't funny. And I hung up on her. <laughs> so she called back and said, no, Greg, it's really Sharon. You know, go after yourself, Blotzer. You know, and I hung up again. She called back a third time and she said, no, Greg, this really is Sharon Osborne. And if you hang up again, I'm not calling you back. And I went, oh. <laughs> so they said they liked they liked the tape and they wanted me to come and audition and the rumor was that jake wasn't in the band anymore i had seen jake play when i first got to la he was considered the best guitar player in la and i'd seen him play when he was in rough cut and i thought not only was he the best guitar player in la i thought he was one of the best guitar players on the planet that i'd ever seen and i'm old i've seen a lot of guitar players <laughs> and so I said, well, where's where's the audition? Thinking it was in L.A. And she said, well, we're going to fly you to England. And I don't like flying. And I said, nah, I don't know if I want to go. And she said, why not? And I said, well, you know, Jake's not in the band and I, I don't like London. I've never been to London at that point. I just didn't want to fly. And she said, no, Jake's in the band. I said, oh, he is? I said, OK. I said, well, she said, and you're only going to be in London long enough to change planes. Uh, we're going to fly you up to Inverness, Scotland. So you're going to get off the plane, get another plane, fly up to Inverness. And I said, Inverness, isn't that like where Loch Ness is? And she said, yeah. I said, I'll go. <laughs> Someone will take me to see Loch Ness. So here I am. I'm nobody. I'm known in L.A., but that's about it. And I'm making a deal with one of the most powerful women in rock. Yeah that if she'll make sure someone takes me to see the Loch Ness Monster, I'll fly to England, then to Scotland, and audition for Ozzy Osbourne, which they did. Someone took me to see Loch Ness. I, me and the Loch Ness Monster hung out a couple times with Bigfoot and a couple UFOs. It was great. And the abominable snowman was supposed to be there, but he was late. <laughs> All I know is I can't wait to get these headlines to blabbermouth <laughs> that uh, Greg Chasen uh, goes to uh, uh, Loch Ness to hang out with Nessie on behest of Sharon Osbourne. Well, you know, it's funny is I, I, I wouldn't have went. I honestly wouldn't have went because I didn't think I was going to get the gig had Jake not been there. At the time, I was petrified of flying. I've kind of come to terms with it. Uh, having said that, of all the tapes they got, they were only seeing seven people. So, I mean, that was pretty cool. I went over there. I met Jake. We kind of hit it off. We had a lot of the same interests, and we kind of became friends. I was there for 
three weeks, 22 days. I ended up not getting the gig because Ozzy was looking for a certain look and I didn't have it. Uh, in the 80s, I was not, I didn't really fit into that look. Yeah. I, I could have been in, I probably should have been in Motorhead, except they had a bass player. Yeah, that was the uh, ultimate sim was the whole spandex-laden glitter Ozzy years. It's, uh, well, I'll tell you a funny story about that is I didn't get the gig, but Jake would tell me whenever Phil Susan would piss off Ozzy, Ozzy would always say, we should have kept the ugly guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> so when jake was on tour with ozzy and all that he would always call me from the road in the middle of the night and then when he would come home on a break he'd come over to my house for dinner or we'd go hang out so we it was kind of beyond music jake and i would have been friends whether there was no music component whatsoever if i'd have met jake when i was a kid right much like the guys in my band now they're guys that I would have been friends with. So for some reason, there was this, we're kind of like, I always say two different sides of the same coin. Yeah, It must be true. We've been friends since 1984, five, whatever. And we've stayed friends all that time. So it was a very fortuitous event. And he would say, someday when I leave Ozzy, I'm going to start a band and I would like you to be part of it. And I was like, well, okay. (laughs) I moved to LA specifically for that. So the, I wasn't having any luck. I played in a lot of bands in L.A., but I wasn't having any luck with the image thing. But Jake didn't care about the image. All he cared about is he wanted someone that could interpret what he did the way that I do it. And he said, hey, I don't care as long as you can play. Yeah. And that that was kind of refreshing because I would go audition for people and they'd say, yeah, you're by far, you're the best or you're what we're looking for. But man, if you could only dye your hair blonde. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not dyeing my hair blonde. I'm ugly with my hair brown. <laughs> Although I might pay to see that. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was it was the right thing. I, I'm going to say real quick to you, our drummer, Jimmy Taft, just walked in here. So I'm going to have him just say hello to you real quick. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, how's it going? How are you, buddy? I'm wonderful. Thank you. How about yourself? We're doing well. So maybe Jimmy can answer this question. I'm going to leave Jimmy to answer this for one second. I got to do something else. Have a seat, Jimmy. <laughs> what are the plans from here? So we've talked about the record. We've talked about the careers. Jimmy, where does the band go from here? Are we going to do a tour? World domination. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's been a lot of talk of that with us here in the camp, the KOD camp. I like that. Yeah, there's. Um, Clearly, there's there's interest in getting this thing out live. We want as many people to uh, to hear this as possible, and we think that what we have to offer will translate very well live. That being said, all of us have certain commitments that may make it difficult to do any prolonged touring. So what we've been talking about doing is maybe fly-ins, going out, for a few weeks at a time as opposed to three or four months at a time yeah um, none of us are in a position at this juncture really to uh to end up on a tour bus for three or four months at a at a stretch no so. and i i don't think that things are done like that anymore especially when it comes to rock and roll so with rock and roll newer bands or even older bands at this point you can go out you can fly do a couple fly dates exactly like you said maybe a couple of festival dates here and there but anything prolonged uh, just doesn't really happen unless you're, you know, fortunate enough to end up in an opening slot for, you know, a, a major tour of some sort, you know? And the good side of that is that, you know, we all 
have jobs, but we also are really our own bosses for the most part. Yeah. So scheduling that type of thing is is completely within the realms of happening. And we're really, really, really anxious to take this onto a stage. We've never actually played live anywhere. Yeah. So I'm going to just put this out there right now. We will open for Zeppelin if they're going to get back together. We'll, okay, we'll do it. But all <laughs> right, I want to meet the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> <laughs> How about starting out with maybe trying to get like a slot on the Monsters of Rock cruise or something like that? I think that would be a... Uh, can you help us with that? A, a good opportunity. I attend the Monsters of Rock cruises, but I cannot help you with getting a slot. I do not have those contacts. We're going to get a we're going to get a grassroots uh, um, campaign going where people call up and say Kings of Dust on the Monsters of Rock. We'll do it. I don't even like being on a boat, but there is a chance that I could see the Loch Ness monster there, so I'm going. I was going to say you don't like being on a boat. You just talked about seeing the Loch Ness monster. What are you are you doing? You're walking the shores looking for this thing? Absolutely. <laughs> Jesus, Greg, you don't like to fly. You don't get in a boat. You know, what are we going to do with you? He has some great qualities. <laughs> yeah, just just ask me. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll heavily sedate him. <laughs> to get him across the pond. Here, take this pill. No. <laughs> no, I won't tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been a pleasure. And I think we're coming to the end of this because you got another one coming up. But before I let you guys go, I always shuffle, rattle and roll a song to play us out. So I would like you guys to pick a Kings of Dust song to play us out on this episode. I'd like you to play. uh, What's the other that is going to be we're getting ready to shoot a video. So if you would be so kind as to play What's the other again, another song that pretty much sums up what it is we do uh, it's kind of a thumbnail sketch of everything that we do as far as what our influences are so if that if that works for you that works for us and we actually like the song so and look, look for the video sometime in probably april sounds good guys appreciate it here's what's the other from the kings of dust debut record thank you get ready to shuffle rattle and roll play us out boys Yeah.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.